Thank you for listening to the Grace Hill Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. I know I say it every time we sing that song, but man, that bridge, holy moly. If that could take root in our lives, you stood by my side and you stood in my place. Jesus, there's no other name. It's just life-changing truth. Hey, I want to welcome you. Uh, My name's Jason. I'm the pastor here at Grace Hill. And uh, let me just tell you just real quick kind of what's going to happen today. Uh, Today's a really, really exciting day. Uh, We say around here all the time that no matter who you are, you're welcome here. And we don't just mean that from a sort of socioeconomic place, from a geographic place. Uh, We really mean that as well as from a spiritual place. If you are just kind of on this journey where you're seeking to sort of try to figure out who Jesus is, you're welcome here. And if you've been following Jesus uh, longer than the gray hairs on your head, again, you are welcome, welcome here. And one of the exciting things that we get to do today is to celebrate a life change. And so towards the end of the service, we've actually got the tank set up. We're going to celebrate by baptism this morning. Yeah, that's an, an amazing thing. And I'm just going to give you guys a heads up. Uh, the passage that I always read uh, when we do baptism is Luke 15, uh, the shepherd and the lost sheep. And Jesus says in that passage that there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents than over the 99 that need no repentance. And so just kind of get ready. We're, we're going to join in the course of heaven this morning and celebrating this life that uh, was once lost but is now found. And so that's going to happen towards the end. Uh, today we're in part four of the series we've, we've been doing called Bitter or Better, The Choice is Yours. And it's a really sort of an overview of the life of Joseph and, and what took place in his life and the fact that he always chose better. At every turn, he chose better instead of choosing to become bitter. And, and I'll be totally transparent with you guys. All week long, I knew this message was coming. This is actually part two of kind of last week's message that I, I just punted to this week because I really wanted to spend some time last week on what we talked about. And, and so all week, I was wrestling with, man, how do, how do we get into this message uh, if we're just kind of getting into the mind of a, of a communicator, of somebody trying to teach the truth of God, one of the things you always want to do in the first couple of minutes of the message is you always want to try to create the tension around what you're going to teach. You, you always want to try to kind of bring out this, this need that's in the room that maybe you didn't even know you had, but man, within the first couple of three minutes, you're kind of you're listening, and, and there's some statement that's been made, and you go, man, I can identify with that. So all week long, I've been wrestling with what was the intro. I was thinking about stories, and I was thinking about just all these different, and I just came up empty. And I thought, okay, well, then this is what we're going to do. We're just going to do an intro-less message this week. We'll just jump into the content, and we'll see what happens. And then, it's a true story. I have two alarms set on my phone for Sunday mornings. One is at 4.10 a.m., and the other one is at 4.13 a.m. It's a habit. I've done it for years. Don't feel sorry for me. It's just part of it. I, I don't mind getting up that early on Sunday mornings. And, and I'm not kidding you. This was the picture. This was the picture on my phone this morning when I woke up. 4.13, O.J. Simpson, for those of you who don't have good eyesight, O.J. Simpson freed on parole after nine years in prison for Las Vegas armed robbery, Nevada prison official says. And the whole premise for today's message is, what happens when you're in prison? And that showed up on my phone today at 4.13 a.m. And so then it got me thinking about O.J. I, 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 I kind of grew up uh, right in the midst of uh, what happened with OJ and the, the slow chase through LA. I mean, that was in my teenage years. So I, I watched that trial and everything unfold. 
And, and, I, and I honestly, I, I begin to think about this, like what's going on in OJ's life today? Like what's taking place in his life today? And, and what's gone on over the last nine years as he sat in prison? And so when that picture came up, I clicked on the story. I mean, it's 4.15 in the morning, and I click on the story, and I'm reading through because what I really hoped, this is what I really hoped I would read. I was really hoping, man, O.J. was in prison, and he realized that his life was worth giving away. O.J., while he was in prison, decided that he wanted to start a charity and, and invest in kids' lives who, who maybe had lost a, a, a mom or a dad or OJ's gonna start this foundation and, and he's gonna begin to try to rebuild his future. And, and unfortunately, this was what actually was said in the story right here. Simpson also plans to get an iPhone and get reacquainted with technology that was in its infancy when he was sent to prison in 2008, his attorney said. There's OJ. No charity, no sense, at least right now, of dramatic life change. There's actually a lot of conspiracy around where he's gonna live. He wants to go back home to Florida and the Florida representative said, we don't want him here. We don't, we don't want the circus. And that's, that's what is said about OJ nine years after he gets released from prison. And whether you have ever committed a crime and gone to prison or not, or maybe you've had someone make a decision for you that has sent you into maybe a mental prison. Or maybe a, a health crisis has struck you and you just feel imprisoned, maybe even by your home because you just can't get out and there's no way to turn and there's nowhere to turn. Or, or maybe you feel imprisoned by the guilt that you carry over a decision that you made. We all find ourselves at some point or another, whether it's our fault or not, in this, in this idea of being in prison. We may not know how we got there. We, we may not know what to do next that we're here. And, and you know what's interesting is some of the greatest regret that I carry in my life is not necessarily the decisions that put me in that moment. The regret that I carry is not necessarily the decisions that I made that put me in this sort of figurative, metaphoric prison, whether it was, you know, a, a decision that I made and, and broke a relationship or a decision that I, just whatever it may be, the greatest, some of the greatest regrets that I have are the decisions that I made once I found myself in the prison. It's where I let my mind go. It, it's, it's whose fault I pointed the finger at once I found myself in this moment where there was no escape. And I wasted so much time on self-loathing, on self-pity, on the blame game. And just from my vantage point, I don't want that for you. Maybe you've, you've found yourself in that same moment, and man, you don't want to repeat that again, and I don't want you to repeat that again either. So what's, what's interesting is in this series, in Joseph, Joseph, if you don't know anything about Joseph, Joseph finds himself in prison. We talked about it last week. Not only did he find himself in prison, he actually found himself forgotten in prison. See, he had helped a, a cupbearer and a, and a baker interpret their dreams. Now, things worked out great for the cupbearer, things not so much for the baker. And one of the last things that Joseph said, kind of as the, the cupbaker's on his way out, maybe he said, hey, don't forget about me. 
And we see in this story that a little bit of time goes by and a little bit more time goes by and Joseph finds himself forgotten and alone in prison. Now, spoiler alert, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and give you a spoiler if you don't know anything about this, the story of Joseph. Joseph gets out. He, he gets out of prison actually in a mir- pretty miraculous way. We're gonna look at it today. He gets out of prison, but, but what happens in the space between? In the space between when a decision is made, whether it's on your own or, or it's someone else's fault, and you find yourself in a, in a broken marriage and an addiction you can't get out of and in, 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 a, in a relationship that's not healthy, you find yourself in the middle of a health crisis and it just feels like prison. What do you do? What do you do in the space between? Well, there's two things from the life of Joseph that we can take away from his story, and the first one is this. Oh, actually, before we get there, uh, if you've got a phone with you, uh, you can track along with us in the YouVersion app. You just download the YouVersion app, go to the bottom right corner, click on uh, More, and then once you click on More, it'll pull up another window, you click on Events, then that'll bring up Grace Hill Church, click on that, all the announcements, the scripture, the points, everything will be there today, and uh, you can actually take notes in the app and share it on social media if you want to. So, the first thing is this. The first thing we see in Joseph's life, and the first thing we can take away from that is this. God can take your prison and use it to shape your life. God can take your prison and use it to shape your life. It's what he did with Joseph. Joseph found himself in the bottom of this pit, in the bottom of this well, and and there was a moment where his brothers had left him to die, and then they decided, well, hey, why not make a little bit of money off the guy? And so they sold him. And even in that moment, he didn't choose bitter. He chose better. Then he landed in Potiphar's house. And he he was a slave in Potiphar's house, but Potiphar saw something about this guy. His work ethic, his diligence, his character, his humility. And he said, man, I'm going to put this guy in charge of everything in my home. The Bible says literally the only thing that Potiphar didn't concern himself with was what he was going to eat. That was it. Everything else he just handed over to to Joseph, and all he was concerned about was what what he was going to eat. And and then, of course, if you know the story, then then one day, you know, Mrs. Potiphar came, and she said, hey, what you got going on? And Joseph rejected her and rejected her and rejected her and got so bold that said, hey, I've been placed over all of your husband's possessions and household, but he did not give me you. And so he rejected her. And of course, as you know the story, she falsely accused him of making an advance on her and and Potiphar uh, put Joseph into prison. And then Joseph finds himself in prison. And a a cupbearer and a baker come to him and say, hey, we've had a dream. Could you interpret this dream? And Joseph does. And I've already said it. He looked at the cupbearer ba- cup as he was leaving and said, hey, don't, don't forget about me. Remember me. Of course, that didn't quite work out for Joseph, and he found himself two more years in prison. There's actually an interesting passage of Scripture in the book of James. So if you've got a Bible or in the, your version app there, if you want to write this down, in the book of James, who, James was the brother of Jesus, and, and he wrote this, and I memorized this passage 15 years ago. And I think it so applies to when we find ourselves in, a, in prison and, and we say, God, I want you to shape my life. The, 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 the passage, this passage is so powerful. It says this, 
Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, the the same part of that verse that I had trouble with 15 years ago has been the same part of the verse that I have come back to over and over and over and over and over again, and it's never got easy. I've never gotten to the point where I would be like, oh yeah, this is, this is a piece of cake. The part of that verse, verse that gives me the most trouble is not, is not face trials of many kinds. Man, I get that. We all get that, don't we? I mean, 2017 for my family on a lot of levels has been kind of a dumpster fire. I mean, like we're ready just to move on. Like let's, let's just get on to 18. We're counting down the days. I mean, let, let's just get on and see what happens in 18. The, the, the part of that verse that doesn't give me much trouble is testing of your faith produces perseverance. Man, I want perseverance. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Man, I want perseverance to, to endure the trials that come my way. I, I, I want to be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Man, I want that. I want to be a mature follower of Jesus Christ. I want to be able to look back on my life 10 years from now and say, man, I am so thankful that I've endured and that I've persevered and I feel like I'm walking more closely with Jesus today than I was 10 years ago. The part of that verse that's always given me trouble, the part of that verse that is so challenging to me is the first four words. Consider it pure joy. Consider it pure joy. You see, all I see in my present circumstances are what's right in front of me, and I I don't see the end result, and so I get frustrated. You see, all I see right now are the choices that I made or that were made for me that landed me where I am. And James wants us to to lift our eyes figuratively kind of over this fence and peer over to see that we should consider these trials, these present circumstances, consider it pure joy. Why? Because our faith is being refined. Our faith is being tested. Our faith is being developed those hard edges in our life, the, the pride and the arrogance and, the, and, the, and all of the areas that need to be chiseled away so that we can become who we really want to become and become who God really wants us to be. We have to consider it pure joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And so here's a simple question. Such a simple question for you today. As you think about the the fact that your prison, that God can use your prison to shape your life, a simple question is this. What would change about my prison if I would choose joy instead? What, What would change about my present circumstance that feels like a prison, this financial prison that we can't get out of, this, this relational prison, this health crisis, this, this, this whatever it is. You know, I got a call this morning from Kelly at 8.30, and she said, there's three water spots on our living room ceiling, and you just go, why on Sunday morning of all times? 
Can you please come home? Sure. Choose joy. (laughs) What would happen in your life if instead of choosing bitterness, if instead of choosing despair, if instead of choosing to always go back to that moment and remind yourself and everybody around you about this person who's no longer in your life, who may not even live in this city and doesn't even live in this state or may not be living at all, what would happen if instead of stepping back into that moment, you said, I'm going to choose joy. I'm going to consider it pure joy when I encounter various trials. Knowing that if you're a follower of Jesus, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance or perseverance. I'm not saying that's easy, okay? So don't mistake that as like preacher talk of like, well, just choose joy. I'm not saying it's easy. As the guy, you know, who stands up here and I read this stuff and I'm praying through it, it's hard for me to choose joy sometimes. Why? I'll be honest with you, bitterness is easier. It just is. Despair is easier. That's why James said, consider it pure joy. He didn't just say, hey, well, you know, joy's going to be in front of you and just accept. No, no, no. He said, consider it pure joy. Can you imagine what Joseph would have been going through in, in this moment, in this season where he was in prison and he was forgotten about? Can you imagine what he was learning in himself about himself? And can you imagine what he was choosing to learn about God and embrace about God? He didn't get bitter. He chose better every single time. What a picture for you and what a picture for myself. God can take your prison and he can shape your life. And here's the second thing. God can take your prison and use it to save a life. God can take your prison and use it to save a life. Sure, Joseph was able to interpret the the cupbearer's dream, but, but what we see happen in chapter 41 of Genesis is remarkable. It is astounding. You see, the story here is, and we don't have time to read it all, but Pharaoh had two dreams. So, so again, the, the cupbearer earlier, you know, the, the parallel of dreams, all this, Joseph started with two dreams. And then the cupbearer and the baker had a couple of dreams. And Pharaoh, uh, Potiphar's wife had a dream of being with Joseph, you know, and, and that wasn't realized by Joseph. And, and, and so now Joseph finds himself, he's been in prison for two years after the, the cupbearer has, has gone away and he's been restored to his position. And, and, and Pharaoh has two dreams. And nobody can interpret the dreams. And somehow or another, the, the cupbearer, he remembers. And he, oh, hey, I know a guy. Hey, Pharaoh, remember? Because see, the cupbearer was there for, for the king. And he would imagine having, I mean, you think your job's bad. The, the cupbearer was, was there to test all the food, to taste all the food and the wine to make sure that none of it was poisoned. You, you only have one bad day on the job in that gig, okay? One bad day is all you get. 
And and the cupbearer says, hey, I I remember a guy. He he actually interpreted my dream. And and, and so Pharaoh does what any of us would have done. Well, okay, well, go get him. Let's find him. And and can you imagine the cupbearer? I hope he's still there. You know, like it's been two years. I forgot about it. I hope hope he's still there. And so they get Joseph and they they bring him in. And and Pharaoh says, hey, here's the dream. And and Joseph said, hey, this is what your dream means. For seven years, Egypt is going to experience plenty. Harvest is going to be so ripe. For seven years, Egypt is going to just prosper. But then, Pharaoh, your second dream means that that Egypt is going to have a famine. And there's going to be a really, really, really dark season for seven years. And, Pharaoh, that's, that's what your two dreams mean. And here's what's astounding. He's in that moment, we read scripture, in that moment, Joseph was still in prison. He was legally and technically still in prison in that moment. And not only did he give Pharaoh the interpretation of the two dreams, he also gave Pharaoh a suggested plan. He said, Pharaoh, here's, here's what I think you ought to do. Now, can you imagine? I mean, this dude, he's got some boldness. He's been in prison for at least two years at this point. I mean, you know, since the cupbearer left. And he gets called in, into Pharaoh and he says, hey, here's what your two dreams mean. And oh, by the way, not only is this what they mean, but this is what you need to do about them. But God used that moment in Joseph's life, in Pharaoh's life. And in the whole land of Egypt to save a life. You see, we get this this conclusion to this incredible moment where Joseph goes before Pharaoh. It says this in verse 37. The the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anybody like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God? Talk about making a first impression. Can we find anyone like this man? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, and this is where he grants him his freedom. This is where he takes him out of prison. He says this. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. God can use your prison to save a life. What I love about this story is that Pharaoh didn't have to do this. He didn't have to do this. He could have said, wow, that, man, that's amazing. Great job. I really think that's what it means. Guards. And what's amazing is Joseph didn't have to do this. You see, if I was in the place of Joseph, and if I had not chosen better, which my tendency would probably be to choose bitter in this moment, I probably would have walked in and said, well, here's what your dream means. And I'll tell you what you need to do, but first, let's bargain. 
Let's make a deal, Pharaoh. I'll tell you what you need to do, but you get me out of this prison. And Joseph just simply obeyed. And he left the consequences. He left the result. He left his future. Even in the moment where he chose to save a life, he left it in God's hands. Joseph chose better over bitter every time. And here's something, I was talking with a friend about, so I can't take credit for this. I was talking with a friend about this passage this week, and he drew an amazing, just, it, was, it was fascinating, the conclusion that he drew from this. And I think it's so important for us to hear it today, is this, is that my bitterness, if I don't choose better, my bitterness clouds my judgment, does it not? Your bitterness will cloud your decision-making ability. Your, your bitterness will put you at a distance from being willing to help people. And not only did Joseph chose, choose better, he also chose to be ready. You see, when he was called on, he didn't have to wade through his bitterness. He didn't have to take that bitterness off like a thousand-pound backpack and set it behind him. He was ready to step into the moment. And when the opportunity presented itself to help somebody, he was prepared for that moment that he was called to step into because he chose better and not bitterness. He, he didn't let himself keep himself from responding to the opportunities that God had put in front of him because of his bitterness. He chose better every single time. I don't want your circumstances to cause you to slip into a pattern where you choose to be bitter. Just like that James passage, I want your circumstances that are presented to be an opportunity for you to say, man, I would not have chosen this path. If I'd have had an option, this is not the road I would have walked. I didn't want to carry this load. This load feels too heavy for me. But, God, I want you to use my prison to shape my life. And if the opportunity presents itself, God, I, I want you to use my prison to save a life. I was talking with somebody literally right before service. I mean, three minutes before service started. And they were telling me about a mutual friend. And what's interesting about that mutual friend is I walked through a situation a couple of years ago that this mutual friend that we have uh, helped me walk through. And it was a brutal situation for me. I mean, it was just painful, lots of just, just I mean, it was bad. Just, it was bad. Wasn't life or death, but man, it sure felt like it in the moment. And this friend was, man, he was so faithful. He was so compassionate. He was so helpful. And, and what's interesting now is, is that two years later, he finds himself in a very similar situation. And when I was talking to this individual before service today, it's interesting to hear the people who have been in his life who have walked through a very similar situation, who are all choosing better over bitter, even though it would be easier to choose bitter. And now they're able to come alongside of him 
and love him and help him. God can use your bitterness or God can use your prison to shape your life. But God can use your prison to, sh- to save a life as well. So there's just two simple questions I want to close with today. And that is this. What would change in your life if you embrace this today? What, what would change? What situation, what circumstance? If you said, I'm going to choose joy, I'm going to consider it joy. Even though it's hard. I never said it was easy. I'm going to choose joy. What would change in your life today? What would change in your family today? What difference would your coworkers potentially notice tomorrow? What difference would the people that call you to check on you several times a week begin to notice in your life if you begin to choose joy? If you begin to embrace the fact that, God, whatever it is in my life that you need to shape in this moment of feeling like I'm in prison, shape it. God, if, if I can help somebody, if I can save a life, that's what I want to do. What would happen if you chose to embrace this today? And then the second one is what would be different tomorrow? You see, I tend to live with the view of 10 p.m. bedtime. If I can just get the kids in bed, if I can just get them showered and bathed and nobody ends up bloody, including dad, and everybody's remotely happy when they go to bed, when? If by the time bedtime rolls around and there's no dishes in the sink and no dog has eaten through something, whatever it may be, I mean, what, if we can get to this moment, when? You see, when we choose bitterness, Bitterness doesn't end at bedtime, does it? Bitterness doesn't retire at bedtime and just go away. Bitterness stays with us, doesn't it? We wake up. I'll go to bed about 10, 15, 10, 30 tonight. Whatever time you go to bed, you'll wake up in the morning. And if you've decided to choose bitter over better, What's going to be the first thought that's going to come to your mind in the morning, I bet? Well, I wonder what she's doing today. Well, he better not try to call me. You know that guy, he always shows up late for the presentation, and I've had it done for two weeks, but of course the boss always calls on. I mean, you know it's true because you're all laughing. Every one of you, you're laughing. What would happen if you, what would be different tomorrow if you embrace this today. The truth that's kind of been the the net for this entire series. And it's so revolutionary. It, It revolutionized my life a few years ago. I'm telling you it did. And the truth that's kind of held this whole series together is this, what God has done for you is greater than anything anyone can do to you. What God has done for you is greater. What God has done for you is better. 
than anything anyone could ever do to you. And so when we say bitter or better, the choice is yours, it's not just a, it's not just a, a mindset of like, well, I'm just going to do better today. No, no, no. The better that we embrace is the better that comes with the gospel. You see, Jesus never said, hey, embrace my life and follow me and walk with me and everything's going to be easy. He never said that. That's a false gospel. He said, I said it earlier, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. You see, the better that we embrace, the better that we choose, the the better that we reach out for is the better that comes with following Jesus. It's not just a, well, today I'm just just not going to do that thing. Today I'm just not going to think about, no, no, no. It is total dependence on Jesus Christ. And the worship team's gonna come, and as they do, and lead us in this song, and then we're gonna celebrate with baptism this morning. I just wanna ask this one simple question, so simple. Have you chosen better? I mean that in the biggest spiritual context that I can ask that question in. Have you chosen better? Have you chosen to put your future, have you chosen to put tomorrow, have you chosen to follow Jesus Christ?